Roxy Soxy. Good morning, Tab Tab. How are you, I, girl? I don't know. I feel it's my birthday month coming I up, know. Roxy. I know. It's so I, fun. The, well, the funny thing is, the funny thing, I don't even know if this is funny. Is I don't think this is a funny story. But back when this virus started, I thought to myself, oh, by August, this will be over. <laughs> like, I'm going to have the best birthday ever because March to August, I was like, this is just going to be a two-week little uh-huh. thing that's going to pass really quick. And I'll be like, by August, all my friends will be there. We'll be dancing, <laughs> be singing some songs, doing some karaoke. Uh, and then I'm still here. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, so we're going to have a Zoom birthday is what you're telling me. Is that, Are we doing a drive-by for you? Should we a do drive a drive-by? That sounds like a drive-by, <laughs> drive-by, drive-by shooting. It's like, that does not sound like a good birthday. Well, the, the good news is you're drinking again. So at least there's that. I had one drink, Roxy. She's back on the wagon. She's back six months. And she's like, oh, drinking. Well, at least I've got a little more pep in my step today because oh, I'm I kind know. of fangirling a little bit, Roxy. I don't know if you know this story. Can okay, I tell, tell you the story? Tell me the story. Okay. So back in the day when I was 16 years old, mm-hmm. um, Sony BMG came and said like, you know, we want to record a demo um, of you singing to see like if we'll give you a recording contract. So I'm 16 years old and I, there's this song and it was sung by this incredible singer, Maya. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put that song on my it's oh, going to be my, my track okay. to, like, yeah. to like get that. So I remember I actually met my first boyfriend because I was sitting there in his recording studio singing, it's after midnight and she's on the phone. <laughs> and so when I found out that this incredible lady was going to come on our podcast, wow. I started sweating and got so excited. <laughs> if you don't know her again, you don't know anything. She's a Grammy Award winning singer, dancer, songwriter, producer, actress. She's recorded... 13 albums sold oh over 7 God. million. I have not done anything. <laughs> I have like saw, sold one album. Um, so she is here, Maya. Thank you <gasps> Thank so much you, for joining Maya. Women on Top. We are so excited to have you. Uh, hi. How are you, ladies? We're I'm doing so excited to be here. So what a story. the reason I had my first kiss because Ooh. I was singing that song mm-hmm. and then kissed my first boyfriend. So you are really part of my life. <laughs> You're getting many people into the mood, Seriously? Maya. <laughs> Seriously, to what song? Why was I the reason? <laughs> well, because I recorded that song, your first song. What was the name of the song? But I know all the lyrics. Oh. It's after midnight and she's on the phone. Chase of the X. Oh, that's so good. So I would have thought you scared your boyfriend away with that song, that first kiss. <laughs> Oh, I was dancing. I was like <sighs> moving. He's like, she's cool. She's cool. <laughs> See, Maya, your your oh, music, your music works magic. magic. It works magic. Yeah. It does. Right? Right? So hilarious. It's so funny. We're so excited to have you. And I, I just like want to know everything about you. I mean, you have like a long history of music in your family. Mm-hmm. You know, you started this business really young. Were you always like destined? Did you always feel like you wanted to be a singer? Mm-hmm. Did you always want to be a singer? I always knew mm-hmm. that I wanted music. I always knew that I wanted music as a part of my life. I was always moved by it. My dad, of course, is the singer in the family. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, a couple of aunts and uncles. But then on my mom's side, there are composers and pianists. Mm. And, uh, my grandfather actually orchestrated 
for an entire orchestra and wrote all of the sheet music out by hand. So it's in the blood, but um, I think at four years old, I just knew music moved me and I could not necessarily articulate it. But I also was a child of the arts around music all the time with dance or violin or piano lessons or just twirling the baton, the majorettes. I mean, it was just all around me. So I guess it was, I was destined <laughs> to kind of fall into music. I didn't necessarily know what a recording contract was. Right. Uh, it was going to be theater for me. It was going to be Broadway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the recording uh, agreement happened first. You were super young when you found fame. Did the pressure affect you? Like, did you, did you feel like you're also always chasing that dragon? Cause fame comes in waves. You know what I mean? Like you can be up and then you go down and then you go up and then you go down. Did you, did you find it to, did you find it like a lot of pressure? Mm. You know, being a child of the arts and being in a musical school and going to school for music you just really love creating. But when mm-hmm. you go into a music business, I think the agenda for other people around, because it is a business, is numbers or charting or sales and monetary gain. And that was never really a focus. Obviously, my mom is my accountant, so mm. it's been so smart. Uh, a yeah. blessing to have her in my life. Trustworthy. Yeah. yeah, just to keep everything in order mm-hmm. and teach me how to live simplistic below my means or within my means, but never above. But fame was never the goal. Uh, I didn't know what that was. And I was a pretty shy kid until, of course, I had the platform of a stage or um, a common denominator of doing a routine with a group. You know, I just really love creating as an artist. Mm. And I think fame came with it. But I didn't ever register what that was because I never chased that or dreamt Mm. about being famous. I never that was never really my thing. But I've always been a kid that was in my room by myself, like writing songs and stacking harmonies on this crappy little karaoke machine. (laughs) You know, I was a nerd back then. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's the quirky part of why I still do what I do, even independently, because I just love music. I really do. And it's therapy. You know, it was really interesting too, when you were coming up, like in the 90s, it was a different world as far as social media goes, you know, like we didn't have Instagram and the Facebook and like all the things. So when when you were coming up, because you didn't have that kind of stuff, do you think you missed out not having it? Or are you actually glad that there was no Mm -hmm. social media when you were coming up? I'm so glad that there was not social media coming up because I was young (laughs) as a woman uh, coming into my uh-huh. own being mm-hmm. and skin. And I think at that age, you're very tender and sensitive to opinions. You already have enough coming at mm-hmm. you from corporate <laughs> entities. Mm-hmm. Um, and you understand it or at least begin to understand that it's okay to take constructive mm-hmm. criticism or follow suit uh, for the agendas of people that have their mindset elsewhere, even though yours is focused on the art. Uh, but you can be, you begin to understand that. Mm-hmm. But along with the opinions of the world regarding who you should date or who you might be dating, there's absolutely no privacy with cell phones mm-hmm. nowadays. And people are very, very mean, <laughs> very mean online. So uh-huh. I'm not sure I'd be able to simultaneously juggle learning who I am as a person and coming of age in front of the world with all of the opinions, mm-hmm. millions and millions being thrown at you. I don't think I was that strong of an individual back then. But now, yeah, 
it's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just think, I thank God that there was yeah. no social media when I was like I in know. my young 20s and everything, right, Tamman? Because it's like the, yeah. some of the things I did like back in the day, I'm like, uh, I probably would your not have been good for that. self-esteem <laughs> is like, just think about like the, I feel sorry for our daughters, mm-hmm. um, Roxy, mm-hmm. because it's just like people are behind keyboards and mm-hmm. they throw out hate because they have no repercussions, you know? Like back in the day when you and I were young, mm-hmm. it's like if someone wanted to say something to you, they had to say it to your face, mm-hmm. you know? Like you, they're, they're these keyboard warriors that are faceless and nameless who can damage you beyond mm-hmm. repair, you know? You really do have to have a strong sense of self to be able to pick yourself up and realize that their opinions are bathed in their own hate mm-hmm. and they have nothing to do with you. But it's hard to do that. And it, 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 I think everyone gets affected by it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do you? how do you deal with the haters, Maya? Like, what do you, you know, do you respond back to them? She has or? no haters, Roxy. I know, I know. How could you? I mean, look at her. Look at the girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely, mm-hmm. I definitely have my share of awful rumors mm-hmm. and awful untrue claims, as well as being thrown in the midst of fire <laughs> and haters, you know, that want to see you fall or depressed or kill yourself. I mean, that happens. That's just the outside world sometimes, but they're great people in mm-hmm. this world too. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. lots of love. And my go-to is always focusing on the positive, no matter what, because there's also positive and hate as well. It's just love inside out. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of turmoil going on individually with those people that yeah. have that type of time in their day to go out of their mm-hmm. way to say something awful to you. So then you know, as a, a mature woman that has actually spoken to young girls as a mediator or even a counselor, et cetera, or mentor, there's a lot of internal battles that people are suffering with. And sometimes that's therapy for them to throw some negativity yeah. mm-hmm. out. So I just have to ingest it properly, but then also pray for that person because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that person is going through an awful time because they don't feel significant or relevant. And maybe that's the only way that they can get the attention that they need. Mm-hmm. And that's really sad. So as a grown woman now, I look at things from a different perspective, mm-hmm. but I am not the person to respond to that type of stuff. I block it, mm-hmm. you know, I delete it. I don't even want it on my timeline mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because then Twitter fights start happening or Instagram fights start happening and then bullying toward that person starts to happen and it just gets really ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just delete all of it. You know, it's funny. I always think that unhappiness, I've said this to Roxy before, unhappiness is the fastest pipeline to hate. When you're really unhappy, where, 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 where does hate stem from? Mm -hmm. Hate stems from pain. You know, and when someone is in pain, they lash out because they think it makes them feel better, but it doesn't. It ultimately just hurts themselves. It's like putting poison in your own drink and then wanting Mm -hmm. someone else to drink it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do want to go back to the Grammys. Uh (laughs) The big nights. Can you please walk (laughs) us through where you were, how you felt when you were nominated for a Grammy, and also everything that happened the night that you won? 
All yeah. of it. I want to know. I want to know what that feels like because I don't yeah. think Roxy and I are ever going to win a Grammy. <laughs> oh my <God>. There's always <laughs> time. I don't know. Roxy. I just threw you under the bus. Maybe you will win a Grammy, Roxy. I'm so sorry. She's like, I have aspirations. Right. <laughs> it was so amazing. First of all, it was surreal. I didn't expect it. I don't think any of us expected it until we found out that right after we performed, we were asked to stay backstage and we're all chatting amongst, amongst each other saying, wow. oh my gosh, what if we win? What if we win? Because they're asking us to stay behind the curtain. Does that mean we get to present to someone or do we have to go out there to accept an award? We were <sighs> contemplating last minute because I think we were all clueless. Uh-huh. But I think the one hint that we did have was when Patti LaBelle herself, Ooh. the originator of the hit before the hit, uh, showed up to rehearsal at a building called SIR Sound Studios in Los Angeles, California. And (laughs) then in rehearsals on the Grammy stage, of course, we're performing with Miss Patti LaBelle. Come on, we have to get a Grammy. Were you freaking out like seeing Patty? I mean, like having Patti LaBelle right there, like uh, yeah. such an icon. Yeah. So surreal. Of course, you know, our parents' generation, all of them listened to Patty. We were very familiar with all of her art and uh-huh. her work, and she's an icon. And so the fact that she even cleared this song for us to be able to remake because it was a hit before we got a hold of it was an honor. <laughs> Um, You know, a lot of people don't do that. Um, And she joined us on top of that. And I think when we realized that that was actually going to happen at the Grammy Awards, it was just a tad bit of a hint, you know, for us to kind of quietly and individually simmer on (laughs) to think that it's a possibility, you know, to get a Grammy that night. So yeah, amazing. so from that point, we we received the award. We thanked Miss Patty and all the players involved, and we celebrated, of course. But then we had to go do press. Mm-hmm. I don't remember going to any after parties. Uh, I can't remember, but I do remember this. I had an ex boyfriend that was just so jealous at the time. And I wanted to see him. I wanted to see him, and you know, get a congratulations. But he didn't even. Give me a congratulations. Oh, so I think that's that when you were all. done. Uh, yeah. Were you done then? I mean, that should have been a I big indication. We were, yeah. I, I felt a sense of sadness because it didn't matter what I accomplished in my career. There was always some, I don't know, jealousy um, or maybe oh. insecurity going on with him. So I didn't feel really good that night when I went back to my hotel room. I thought, you know, hey, I'd see him and it would be congratulations. But yeah. it was totally opposite and I never saw him. <laughs> so that was it you never saw him again after that well no i did okay but okay. things went downhill obviously uh-huh. from there uh-huh. it's so horrible <laughs> that someone can ruin like one of the most important nights of your entire life right, right. and you always look at people and they're you're like, oh, wow, I, I want to be them. But you were going through something too. And that's what I always say. Like everyone's got a mm-hmm. story. And the fact that he ruined your night is not cool. Right. Like you were thinking of something else when well, you were winning one of the most prestigious world uh, awards ever. Mm-hmm. So. Was he also a singer? No. <laughs> what does his name rhyme with? <laughs> no, he wasn't a singer. But I mean, I've kept that part of my life private so I can tell the story. Except now. <laughs> I was going to 
you're women on top. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was really fun, interesting because you mentioned, you know, you had these executives around you and, you know, everyone's got an opinion. Um, do you think because you're in such an image related business, did you ever feel like pressure to look a certain size or be a certain way? Were people telling you, you know, lose weight, gain weight, do this, do that, like as far as image went? Well, there was always something, but I never took it personal because it was either about a new hair color or, Mm -hmm. you know, going to the gym to prevent injury. That was my mindset because I was already a dancer. Um, I did hear a couple of comments at photo shoots from awful perverted guys, (gasps) you know, about getting implants or stuff Mm. like that, because... You know, I'm this teenager and I haven't fully developed, but even if I never did, you know, that's not your place. That's not your place to, you know, rip or or tear up a female's being and her physicality Mm -hmm. because it's not what you want or what Mm -hmm. you consider to be acceptable, valid or beautiful. And I realized that there were so many different opinions and even arguments and certain meetings just about creative directions and egos going to war. Then I kind of observed and realized that if I were ever to question myself and try to conform to everyone's opinions mm-hmm. at once or even at different times, that I'd just be a ragdoll mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're ever changing, first of all, and everyone has a different opinion. So being yourself is something that I was always comfortable with and solid in mm-hmm. um, and not changing because everything changed out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just too hard to keep up with. But of course, it affects you internally. You can't just be the strong person all the time mm-hmm. because you do ingest everyone's opinion. And then you do look at yourself and re-examine yourself. But at some point, you have to find a way to either journal and get out your thoughts to express your frustrations Mm. and find your center. And writing was always my savior. Mm -hmm. I would journal all the time. And usually Mm -hmm. it had a lot of curse words in it, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, But that's how I express myself Mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't laugh. (laughs) Yes, I do too. Yeah, I did it. I did it today. But that was my go-to when I didn't feel comfortable or I felt embarrassed about those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, pen and paper has always been my savior, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with stuff like that from the outside world. It's amazing that you had such a strong sense of self being yeah. so young because it's such an impressionable age. And you could have gone a different way. You know, you could have bathed yourself in self-hate, you know, and and you didn't. You had a strong center and a strong core and you didn't let that affect you. It's funny, around the time of the Me Too movement, I said to my husband, I was like, you know, I'm so lucky because that never happened to me. But then I really sat with it and just meditated on all the experiences I'd had since I was 17 years old. And I was like, oh my gosh, that Me Too has happened to me in so many different ways and so many different forms. I just didn't think it was a big deal because it was accepted and it was okay. And they were older than you and they were your bosses. Mm. So it's like, you know, it's okay for someone to be on set and say, oh, she needs bigger tits or she needs a big, like, like, that's that's acceptable because everyone is looking around. There's 20 people in the room and they don't say anything. Mm-hmm. So it's it was an interesting, you know, Uh, realization that I came to that in this business, there's so much of that. And I'm so glad that we are now talking about it because hopefully the future generations won't suffer the ways that we did. Mm -hmm. And someone will say, no, that's not okay. You can't talk to women 
especially young women like that anymore. Yeah, where does that come from, Maya? How are you so strong like that? Was it just like your parents sort of building you up or was it like, where does that come from? Because you were young when this was happening. Well, I never really focused on my image (laughs) coming up. I was also raised with brothers in my Mm -hmm. household and I was always the oldest. I had to grow up first. I was scolded first, (laughs) disciplined first. And, you know, I had very strict parents So my focus was to always be independent so that I didn't have to answer or succumb to ignorance. But Mm -hmm. I was also bullied terribly in Mm -hmm. school for being biracial or the texture of my hair. It was just really different and weird. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more tame now, but, you know, all types of kids called me names. Um, (laughs) The list goes on and on from wearing braces and being metal mouth to zebra because my parents were black and white. I mean... You can't get away from it when you're a kid and you're in school, but it conditioned Mm -hmm. me for the Mm -hmm. real world so that when Mm -hmm. I stepped into the real world, I'd already been through that. And Mm -hmm. the tears did flow when I was Mm -hmm. younger. And, you know, I had suicidal thoughts, to be honest, when I was this young girl being made fun of every day, didn't want to go to school. But I also found art and I also found writing and I also found that isolation is sometimes healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to love mm-hmm. yourself because that's when you don't have problems with the outside world. And that's where creation began for me. So I've sort of lived in this bubble, which is sometimes not necessarily personable and such a, a personable business, um, but it's protected me. And I've definitely operated in fear, but I've also survived in some of my conditioning as well as a bullied child. Right. I'm used to all of that. And I, don't think I would have survived in this business for that long or any world or profession mm-hmm. if I didn't have those experiences. And so that also has crafted purpose for me to speaking to young girls about these issues and just finding their own validation and definition of beauty or success and or even happiness in an ever-changing world that kind of defines it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that was a hard time, I'm sure, growing up too, because like you're saying, especially with being biracial, mm-hmm. and you know, if you're multicultural and things like that, like that can't be easy. So mm-hmm. how did you sort of navigate that when you were feeling the bullying, especially in that sense, and especially with what is what we're talking about now, exactly. you know? How did you uh, you know, how do you think that relates? Well, you know, as a child, you don't necessarily understand it. It's very hard to articulate what's emotionally happening to you, but Mm. you know what the kids are saying are very mean and there's a lot of laughing going on or pointing. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of stares in public by adults as well, or even chuckles and Mm. snares. So I I think it was just an awareness thing that I became... Mm. uh, as a human being quite in tune with as a child, knowing Mm -hmm. that something is wrong with the outside world, because this is pure ignorance. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents didn't raise me to discriminate or possess any prejudice. Mm -hmm. They raised me out of love and Mm -hmm. treating one another fairly Mm -hmm. and like a human being. And so my outlook was slightly different from some of the ignorance that I did grow up around, but Mm -hmm. You know, we've also been through things historically in the United States that create that indoctrinated thought from slavery 
mm-hmm. and standards of beauty. And what's different is usually made fun of. And mm-hmm. to be ashamed of that is really easy uh, mm-hmm. when you don't have a strong foundation mm-hmm. at home to reinforce that it's okay to be different. It's okay mm-hmm. to be odd, but your different is beautiful. Maybe mm-hmm. the outside world thinks being beautiful means something else, but mm-hmm. there's all kinds of beauty. Look at the world. My parents showed me many documentaries and National Geographic and all kinds of other things and mm-hmm. PBS television at a young age and allowed me to be a part of so many multicultural experiences mm-hmm. through the arts that eventually coming into adolescence, you know, I was a lot more strong-minded versus when I was a child mm-hmm. and questioning some of the mean things that the kids would say. Mm-hmm. So it's upbringing, it's insulation, it's uh, parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it starts in the home. Yeah. For sure, that you can pull from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I definitely, mm-hmm. you know, this uh, Black Lives Matter movement, Roxy and I have had to like look at ourselves and go, okay, mm-hmm. well, how can we be better? And mm-hmm. how, you know, can we teach our children to be better? Because I don't even see like uh, we're a human race, like we're all incredible and amazing. And it's it's hard that other people don't see that they see differently. And how do you change people's opinions? You don't, you got to get to the heart, like in the heart of the matter is that we are love. And at the meaning of life, I truly believe is love. And if we start to get back to that, then I think we'll start seeing much more peace in our world than this discord that we're facing right now. Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter, you're talking about standards of beauty my daughter waked up, woke up the other day and she said, I don't want to eat as much because I don't want to be fat. Oh, no. She's six years old. And I was like, wait a second. Firstly, we don't talk like that in our household ever. We don't talk about body size or image or what we like or dislike. Even if I don't like my body in that moment, mm-hmm. I never talk to her about it. And I said, well, where'd you hear that? And she said, well, on the cartoon. On the cartoon, the cartoon oh. said like, oh, I can't get oh. through the door because I'm too big. Oh. And I had to sit down with her for 30 minutes and I had to say, you know what fat is? Fat is just not, it's just a, it's just a thing. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she grows up with a better sense of herself. I think Mm -hmm. it starts with the conversations that we have with our children from when they're a very young age, talk about history and talk about how we can change and talk about how we can be on the right side of history as Mm -hmm. they grow up, you know? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Unlearning is the new learning <laughs> yeah. because mm-hmm. when you look at this world, a lot of the things that have been enforced uh, by man to separate people, to maintain control mm-hmm. and power, mm-hmm. uh, the way that we've compartmentalized ourselves or even divided ourselves is based on something that some man said somewhere, you know, and it's very ignorant, um, just the systems that are in place And getting back to the natural world is where I like to take my mind to Mm -hmm. sort of reverse everything that I grew up thinking about what I'm supposed to be like, even my measure of success. I have to constantly check myself and undo the last thought for my own self-validation that comes from 
early schooling and what do you want to be? Mm-hmm. It has to be doctor, lawyer, et cetera, to be acceptable for your teacher. But even that is not necessarily everyone's idea of what success is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's unlearning this thinking that the world has come to or surrendered to as the starting point. Mm-hmm. And it's all been crafted by this <laughs> patriarchal system, mm-hmm. which is not oh. natural. There's lack of balance, which is why the world is in discord right now. And that's my statement. You yeah. know, no matter what the issue is or the topic is, it's getting back to the purest life possible. And that's, mm-hmm. once again, unlearning what we've unfortunately based our lives on an illusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is an illusion. Can't we just hand it over to the women? Let's have the <laughs> country <laughs> run, run by women at this point, guys, right? Like, come on. Uh, give, I mean, give I know there's not a lot of serial killers. I mean, there's not a lot of women serial killers, right? <laughs> yeah. There's like women, even with the PMS that we have, right, Roxy? <laughs> yeah. We're even still just going and shooting people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> even though so I would, I was yeah. Reading, <laughs> I was reading that men actually have PMS too. I think it's Do just they? called TMS. Oh, yeah. tell us about that. Is it interesting? Is it, it a monthly? Same, but... Yeah. Is it like a monthly <laughs> yeah. cycle for them? Okay. 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 Yeah. I'm going to start. Saying, is my husband always on the cycle? <laughs> <laughs> he does have a period. <laughs> yeah. But it just doesn't go away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. Well, getting back to like, because I'm so fascinated by, you know, your whole performing life, which is so cool. <laughs> Um, what is like the craziest thing that has happened to you while you've been performing on stage? Mm. Like, well, while we're talking about periods, all white. Oh, oh my gosh, girl, tell us, tell us. Tell us. <laughs> the white couch and someone very important. <laughs> that actually happened. I don't know if anyone caught it. Uh-uh. I hope not, but that was like so embarrassing. <laughs> So what that happened? really happened. Did you me. feel it? Did you feel it happening or you saw it happening? Oh. I thought it was over, but it wasn't. Oh. And I like that tell last, the story. The last day. Okay, okay. Tell the story. Tell the story. <laughs> I just know. Oh my God. I'm not going to even say his name. But... Oh my gosh. Everyone talks about everything on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> I just remember R. Kelly was performing that day. Oh. R. Kelly was performing on the same stage that day, (laughs) but um, it was in Chicago Uh and I put on this all white outfit, (laughs) jeans, by the way, white jeans. And I had maybe like a 20 minute set because it was still pretty new uh, to me early in the game. Okay. And it was an arena, a stadium, you know, and the crowd was huge. And I just remember feeling like, okay. That was a drop. <laughs> Something just dropped here. I have to finish my set and I don't know what's going on. So when I got backstage, it was confirmed. You know, when I got off of the stage, I changed my jeans really quickly. But of course, it had to be an all white day. And all the lights, I'm sure someone uh, saw it, but mm. I altered my dance moves just in case. <laughs> everything is like closed leg. All yeah, of a sudden, you're just, just like, like, you don't do any turns. <laughs> 
no walking from side to side profile, you know, no crotch shots. My mom would hate me telling the story, but when she was younger, she was like, she was just got married to my dad. So she was like mm-hmm. 24 mm-hmm. and she went to the bosses. She just got hired for this like really big position and she went to his house and he had this white couch and he, she sat on the couch and she got her period. Like it was like the first day when it just like, it's just a gush <gasps> and it went all over her boss's white couch oh. and she didn't tell him and it was like beautiful like a beautiful like it was not going to come out let's just yeah. put it that way so she put all the pillows on top of it <laughs> and just like left the party and like she's like i, I don't know what happened <laughs> that's what i would have done i wouldn't have said yeah. anything no, no way i would have just signed an autograph art by my <laughs> 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 Turn it into art. I mean, it is, right? right? <laughs> it is. It's art by God. Right. Thank exactly. You. Exactly. So what about like stage fright? Have you ever had to deal with that? Like, has it ever been like, oh have you goodness. ever had like a moment? Yes. There oh. were two times that I, my blood was boiling. Okay. So Dancing with the Stars 2009, Ooh, yeah. that was live television. I think it was ABC. So millions and millions of people are watching oh, and geez. anything is bound to happen in rehearsal. Like a couple mm-hmm. of buckles came off of my shoes, heels broke, all kinds of stuff would go go down. And then mm-hmm. you have to worry about wardrobe malfunction because your partner is lifting you up in the air, tossing you, turning you, and you're sliding across the floor. And so your mind is going so many places, plus the nerves of just having to wait and mm-hmm. then get it over with. Mm-hmm. I hated that feeling every, I think it was Monday or Tuesday night that we would film, mm-hmm. but the ultimate stage fright because it was live on television and you can't edit, you can't delay no. much, but maybe five seconds, but that's it. If you fall, if you have a wardrobe blip, it's done uh-huh. and you're all over the press. So I was really worried about that, but I got through it and opening up for Prince <gasps> twice. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I just felt like I would have to rehearse for an eternity to live up to his standards. Wow. Just the fact that he asked me to open up for him in London (gasps) two nights in a row. You know, I I rehearsed for like a whole month before I got on the stage before him, but I was completely stage fright just because I wanted to do a great job for this phenomenal being. (laughs) So you worked with like, like, yeah, I was just gonna say, what was Prince like? Like, was he everything you sort of see, you know, on TV or was it like, was he so much more? Mm -hmm. So much more, of course. And he became a mentor actually with business and definitely directed a lot of us artists Mm -hmm. who were independent at the time. This is at the beginning of my independent journey uh, to own their masters, to make sure that they play an instrument that there are no samples in their albums um, to really perfect your craft and not focus on materialistic things and that the world was yours if you do everything that you're supposed to and take no shortcuts. So a lot of his words would Mm -hmm. just stick with me in those uncertain moments or those tumultuous moments in my independent career. Um, But it paid off because I got nominated for a Grammy, a full album of mine that I that I executive produced, got nominated for a Grammy when I applied everything that he would speak to us to us artists. So 
he was everything and more and a lot mm-hmm. of fun through all mm-hmm. these great house parties and jam sessions, but was truly concerned mm-hmm. about the next generation mm-hmm. in this distance because he, he'd been through so much and wanted to really see us win mm-hmm. yeah, in so many ways. So he was filled with lots of love and wisdom. What do you think about the next generation that's coming up? Do you think they're taking shortcuts? Because what you said about the work is like, I I feel like it's all about that, you know? And if you don't do the work, then at some point the jig is up. Like you can fake it till you make it for as Mm -hmm. long as you want. But then at some point it has to come down to if the work is good, you Mm -hmm. know? And if you have good material. It's really a tricky question to answer Mm -hmm. because we live in the age of technology where sometimes it's not about the music or the art or the talent. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's ever been in the entertainment business. It's about the wow factors or sometimes the controversy, whatever's going to pick or push the numbers, you know, because it's show business. So in art, of course, you cannot take any shortcuts. In theater, when everything is live, you have to do your studying and your homework. There are different platforms where, you know, you'll get found out. <laughs> like, <laughs> live. But, you know, when you have an opportunity, you can always, as a student, hmm. I believe, play a game of catch up mm-hmm. and learn as you go and absorb, especially when you're around the greats. You know, we never start knowing it all unless you're just this musical genius, et cetera. Uh, we all have space and room to grow and learn and perfect and become better. But when opportunity knocks on the door, as it did for me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm light years ahead of, from when I first started. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people or friends might have thought that I didn't deserve the opportunity because maybe in their eyes, I wasn't as prepared as they thought I should be. But there's a market for everything and to each his own. Mm -hmm. You know, not every genre or style of music or synthesized keyboard music or just a beat. Um, It it shouldn't be disqualified because Mm -hmm. it is a sound and it is a culture. Um, So I really believe that whatever you do, however you'd like to receive it. If it's a game of longevity that you're trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. then yes, no shortcuts are an option. Um, But if it's a a game of get in and get out and get what I can, you can really survive, you Mm -hmm. know, and then create another business and do something else, especially now because you can do it yourself on your laptop. Mm -hmm. As far as being a real artist. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, but new things are birthed. So it's a really difficult question as an artist, but Mm -hmm. also being um, a business person as well and understanding Mm -hmm. both sides. It's a balanced answer that I gave you because I see a lot of kids winning that are making movies and Mm -hmm. videos on their iPhone that are not Mm -hmm. spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're taking shortcuts. That just means that they're very savvy and... Mm -hmm. And they have they're doing what they, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I think about yeah, a lot like, of yeah. great directors are pissed off about that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. right. But like, imagine you want to direct something and you just don't have access to the money that it takes to make something for a hundred thousand, yeah. five million dollars, mm-hmm. and you still have the talent. So I think that there's so many platforms now that you can showcase like what you got, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that exactly. I think talent is talent is talent is talent. You can be talented on an iPhone. You can be talented with five hundred. Mm-hmm. million dollars doing a Marvel film, you know? Right. I just think um, we just have more devices now to get our stuff out there. 
Yeah. And if they have the drive and the ambition to do that and they go after it and make it happen, more power to them, right? Like if they're mm-hmm. out there, you know, doing their thing, you know, it's just, it's a different way that they came up, but they're still coming yeah. up, right? It's given the stage to, yeah. I think, more people. And I yeah. think, you know, Absolutely. the competition is probably higher because... Yeah. There's more visibility. Like there's no, you know, I always say that you're invisible until you're seen. And now mm-hmm. there's so many ways to be seen. So there's right. more competition. Um, yes. And that does raise the, bo- the bar sometimes. Yeah, do you feel that competition, Maya, like with any of your peers or like any of the other, you know, the singers, performers out there? Do, do you have that competitive sort of drive? I definitely have a competitive drive. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a grind, okay. uh, but it's never competing with another person. Okay. It's always trying to improve myself and evolve uh, mm-hmm. and just challenge myself to learn and become something better than I was last. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously being a better person first, but evolution and I'm still in love with music very much, but I'm constantly educating myself on the new technology or the new platforms. And mm-hmm. I think the biggest pressure that I felt was coming from a major system, major label system into the independent label realm where I'm now the label and funding everything myself, which has taken a different type of focus mm-hmm. and grind mm-hmm. uh, where personal life suffers but also living up to the expectation that being with a major label has set, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter how many projects or how great uh, of the compositions or the songs that I release. The mm-hmm. world, of course, without the marketing dollars, et cetera, is not receiving it the way they used to from me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get lost in the sauce. So that can be a juggle Personally, mm. emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, it affects you. Um, but the work is put in. And so the mindset changes uh, from wanting your glory now to just putting good things in the universe and just trusting that good things mm. will come back in its own time. Mm. Not your now. You have to set mm-hmm. your ego aside, mm-hmm. you know, and artists are supposed to have egos. You know, we want what we want and we want mm-hmm. to serve <laughs> all the time. But you also battle yourself as this business entity that has to make the business decisions, but then this creative artist <laughs> entity and they bump heads all the time. So it's it's a, a game of juggling constantly mm. because you want to put things out in the universe and hope that they're received very well. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of things that have to take place first on the business side. Right. Anyhow, <laughs> mm-hmm. you regret anything that you, in your career, especially, you know, you touched on in your personal life. Do you feel like because you were so gung ho in your career that it, that was affected? Um, I was never gung ho in my career. I was always wanting to be a priority versus mm-hmm. getting lost in politics or mm-hmm you know, label execs arguing back and forth about who's taking credit for what, you know, or getting caught up in budgets closing or merges Mm -hmm. happening between labels. There were so many dynamics out there that affected a lot of artists. And then you get caught up in that. But, you know, mine was circumstantial. I never had a diva moment or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I did have an album leak uh, that shelved my fourth album. And that 
prompted me and propelled me to go into the independent space, mm-hmm. which I don't regret. You know, mm-hmm. it of course was devastating when you work on something for two years and transition to different labels and the interim, but that also led me to Prince. If I weren't mm-hmm. independent at that time, he would have never become a mentor and I would have probably never met him before his passing. And he's just given us so much, so many jewels. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any regrets. Um, except for maybe my choice and men, <laughs> but those, I think we all have those yeah, regrets. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was three or four That's... nights didn't happen. In my life. Yeah. But those were also blessings and yeah. lessons, you know, that have allowed me to become like this healer or whatever you want to call it uh-huh. for other women and relate to women globally that have Mm -hmm. gone through some of the same things. So, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I'm alive and I've experienced (laughs) those things. I have loved fully. And, you know, when I get into my own headspace, I I sometimes (laughs) wish that, why did I have to go through that hell? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, then I accept the hell because beautiful, beautiful things happen from that too. Right. So are you normally like a relationship girl? Are you like a serial relationship girl, like long-term relationships or more like casually dating? Like what is your, cause you've been a really, you've been really good about being private. Like, yes, not we know, people we're like, know. did so much research yes. and we're like, we don't know anything about our relationships yeah, yeah, or love life. I'm like, who is she dating? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's relationship for me. It's always been relationship, but Somewhere along the way, because of course, you know, I'm a workaholic. And then the dynamic of being this famous person and having to go all around the world. I don't know if it's the insecurity that comes into play, Mm. but this double standard always creeps up into the relationship where the guy becomes narcissistic Mm. and wants to maintain a chokehold or control Mm. over me but wants to play the field simultaneously. And then the threats arise or the accusations arise, the things that he assumes that are happening in the studio Mm -hmm. or on the road or things that maybe he's done (laughs) or witnessed other people do. And it's just, it becomes too much. Um, So today I'm now in self-love mode Mm. and really accepting my space and time and really enjoying that. Mm-hmm. I'm practicing self-care. And I, like I said earlier, I believe the work that you put into yourself, you get from other sources with law of attraction. And that's all my priority is because I'm not pressed to be in a relationship or loved by anyone. I think it's a beautiful thing when it's functional, but mm-hmm. when it's dysfunctional, <laughs> I don't want it. It's too much of a headache, you know? Yep. That's true. I get it. I get it. Well, you also have a very big life, you know, and not mm-hmm. maybe a lot of men not can't really. handle that. Right. No, but like as far you as being do. a public yes, person yeah. and you know, you're famous, you're an amazing beautiful, performer, successful. you're beautiful, you're successful. I think like a lot of men can't handle that. Right. Like, or it takes this very oh, special well. man to handle, you know, it somebody that's such a great man. package. Yeah. Exactly. He has to be secure with his own life and himself first. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a problem, obviously, in my early relationships because (laughs) (laughs) there was a lot of demand for me to obviously prove myself at that point 
with mm-hmm. record labels. So I was constantly on the go and mm-hmm. constantly getting this attention that just came with the territory that I wouldn't entertain, but that fear of getting snatched up with, by someone with either more money or that's more handsome than them is looked at as a threat. And for some reason, they think you're, you're going to entertain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's based on an insecurity and fear. Mm-hmm. And then they begin to destroy the relationship because of all of that fear and then accuse or do things on purpose behind your back, you know, to create balance for themselves. Yeah. So it's really strange. Uh, <laughs> looking back now at, the actions, mm-hmm. but I really find solitude within myself and I don't really have any more expectations, but I do believe in love and that doesn't necessarily come in the form of man, woman, 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 one-on-one relationships, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you can find it within yourself, but also be surrounded by all kinds of love, whether it's your extended family or mm-hmm. the children that you work with or the animals that you adopt. I mean, there's so many different sources so that you're not reliant upon, <laughs> you know, yeah. a narcissist. I hear you. <laughs> or someone that's not ready for the whole you. Right. <laughs> no, she's so amazing. What? And also, you just <laughs> Mentioned, you just mentioned the animals, which yes. I love the animals too. And Tam loves the animals too. <laughs> we love the animals. You're a vegan. You promote animal advocacy. Why is this world so important to you? Mm-hmm. Well, animals have probably saved my life and my mm. mind. They are healers. Sometimes we think that we save them, but oh. they really save us. Absolutely. And they're just so pure in their energy and they don't have any hidden agendas. Yes, and they, they're not narcissists. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dog, you know, his only, only they agenda do try is to control you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're just breaths of fresh air and there's just so much happiness and pure joy mm-hmm. when they're around, including mm-hmm. children. I really mm-hmm. enjoy my time working with kids. I was a dance instructor first, oh. you know, that was my first job. So mm-hmm. the, the light that children bring, yes, they can cause you to go horse and pull <laughs> your hair out or go gray very early, but <sighs> or they're very the honest. There's so many things they can do. Yeah. So many things, but there's just so pure in their intentions and their unconditional love and Mm -hmm. they raise your vibration. They really do. Mm. And um, I'm an advocate for animals because they've just done so much for my life. The same with the children. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, (laughs) you know, they deserve incredible treatment and Mm -hmm. there's just so much abuse obviously in the world that many people don't know about and so that's where also my vegan activism comes from Mm -hmm. Um, knowing the harsh realities of the manufacturing and production of animals Mm -hmm. I saw Food Inc. once and Mm -hmm. I was just like once I saw that documentary I just I, I eat eggs now and that's it. Um, I'm sure I'm like one step away from being vegan. I kind of say I'm vegan, but I know if you eat eggs, that's still bad. But I think it's pretty good that I don't actually eat the animal. Um, but I saw that documentary mm. and I was like, once you see the atrocities that are happening, it's you can't unsee that, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a lot of us walk around like ignorance is bliss. And I do mm-hmm. that too. Like even right now with the news, I'm like, I don't want to know. I, I can't, I can't know everything that keeps me up and makes my anxieties worse and makes mm-hmm. me, you know, disconnect from my kids because I'm so thinking about how many people are dying from COVID. I, I need to know, I need to be informed, but I don't need to be obsessed about it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think once you really see about the horrible acts that are happening right now, especially 
in um, in the animal world, mm-hmm. it's just, it's hard to unsee that. You, you know? can't unsee and, it. Yeah. yeah, you can't. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the biggest misconception about veganism is? And how do you think it can potentially like save the world? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I want to hear your answer on this, but a lot of the documentaries that I've watched talks about how we can really fix global warming um, mm-hmm. if we stop eating animals. Well, yeah, to touch on what you spoke about, we're not really ever educated or shown the actual realities of, you know, animal agriculture and Mm -hmm. some of the harsh conditions and abuse that animals endure for food consumption. Um, The misconception about veganism. Mm -hmm. Well, usually even my own family has (laughs) teased me on many occasions and spoke (laughs) about rabbit food, but it's not that at all. Um, As a matter of fact, I'm hosting my first virtual cooking session on August 1st as I kick off my three-day reset challenge, which is vegan, raw vegan, alkaline vegan, or even juicing. And people end up uh, combining the challenges and I gift winners with all these goodies for their kitchen, et cetera, to help them on their journey. And I have a free starter guide. It's on myamaya.com forward slash lifestyle that I compiled. Lots of information. Uh with and veganism. It's just about compassion and understanding how everything is connected, but it's very tasty food and you Mm. can still have what you already love by simple substitutes. Mm-hmm. You know, there are vegan pancakes, waffles, even chicken. Now plant-based meat companies are creating all kinds of burgers and substitutes or plant-based versions of mm-hmm. even seafood now um, to feed into or accommodate, I would say, mm-hmm. to accommodate what people already love, how we were raised, what we grew up on, so that nothing has to be stripped from your daily palate. And it's really, really fun because you can do all different types of versions. Obviously, you have the more starch processed foods, which aren't necessarily healthy. And that's also Mm -hmm. a big misconception. Veganism doesn't necessarily mean healthy Mm -hmm. because fries and rice and potatoes and all the good things and starch are vegan. But it's about having a well-balanced diet and then choosing the healthier alternative, like Mm -hmm. wild rice instead of the white rice or spelt flour instead of the white flour. Mm -hmm. You know, there are levels to it. And I break down those levels in my starter guide because I've really learned, you know, even after gaining weight, becoming vegan, because of course I was a carb queen, uh, that this is not the right way to do it. So how can I get better? And that's why I conducted the challenges so that I would even take accountability Mm -hmm. and become a better, healthier eater. Why? Because cancer and diabetes and heart disease runs in my family and community. And I just wanted to break the cycle and the generational diets that cause the generational curses. Mm -hmm. Those burgers taste exactly alike, by the way, to like real burgers. Because I know a lot of people are scared. They're like, oh, it's not going to taste the same. (laughs) They do. They do. Mm -hmm. Thanks to beet juice, they bleed. (laughs) (laughs) But they do. They taste just the same. Even better, I think. You know? I think that's the key to your happiness, though. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was juicing so much and doing raw foods. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the wave of vegan life is is advancing every year. It's a billion-plus-dollar industry. And more people are getting hip to it. 
and the effects on human health, but also environmental health. So you touched on global warming and, you know, factually, the research has been done and it basically states that animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change slash global warming above and beyond all worldly or global transmissions, emissions from Mm -hmm. transportation combined. And so when I think about that, how do I wrap my brain around this and and share that with fans? Mm -hmm. What is animal agriculture? You know, what are emissions? And that's what the starter guide is there for to basically break down the reasons why to go vegan and how it impacts everything, all life, not just human life or human health, but the entire species extinction, habitat, uh, the destroying of habitats and ecosystems, the fact that we might even still have issues with our ocean and fishless oceans by the year 2048. Mm. These are all scientific predictions just based on how we produce food now and many of the things that we put inside of those foods or treat with animals, uh, treat animals with that end up in our waterways. And it's a domino effect, but Mm -hmm. it's all, um, it's, it's a, a weird subject. When you go down the rabbit hole, you realize all of the connection that affects each and every one of us and every living being. And it's really hard to digest. Once you get started, you don't want to stop the knowledge, but then you're forced to mm-hmm. sort of make a change and it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. Have you been cooking yeah. a lot in quarantine? Mm-hmm. Like, have you been cooking vegan foods and like doing the thing? What are some of yeah. your favorite things to cook? I have, I have been cooking a lot, um, mm-hmm. which is why I made sure that I conducted another challenge so that I would go raw because I was <laughs> consuming a lot of vegan junk food and mm-hmm. gained some weight. <laughs> but I began cooking for family, which was awesome because usually my family is teasing me about my rabbit food. And so I cooked some soul food. I cooked some mac and cheese that was vegan, some meatless meatballs with Mm -hmm. cheese and ragu sauce, collard greens, uh, Japanese sweet potatoes or yams, just all the things that my family grew up eating, but veganized, Mm -hmm. Um, chili, vegan chili. The list goes on and on. Just the other day, I made some oysters from mm. uh, oyster mushrooms. They oh. were oysters. And then uh, some fish and chips from banana blossom, which I found in an international market. So I've been playing with like things that I've never heard of before as well. You're like advanced <laughs> level cooking. I mean, yes. that's like if you're creating no, oysters. Really. We're doing frozen soups yeah. over here. Roxy and I were putting yeah. some frozen soup. At, yeah. And we're like, that's dinner. <laughs> The quesadilla is dinner, kid. No, no. <laughs> it's funny though when you take no, away meat from people. Though, when you take away meat from people and you say like, "Oh, don't don't eat meat," they get very angry. Do you notice mm-hmm. that? They get very, very, very. Angry. It's like guns when you try to take yeah, their guns it's like, away. Don't, guns like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. So my thing is, why don't we just try to be better? Like, why don't why do you know if people don't want everything? If their perception is like, "Don't take away what I enjoy," why can't we just say, "Okay, cool"? So let's do three days no meat or four days no meat. And what starts to happen when people do that? They realize how great they do feel. Then they want to understand why they're doing it and the reason behind it. And then they start, you know, getting more into the vegan lifestyle, mm-hmm. and their life changes. So maybe the first step is just saying, "Hey, let's just do." 
meatless Mondays, right? See how Mm -hmm. you feel. Maybe meatless Mondays and Tuesdays. I think small steps is a way to like get people's habits to change instead Mm -hmm. of saying like, no more meat ever again, you know? Because I think that that does care. Exactly. That's why I have the three-day reset challenge because it's super easy for anyone to do. And I'm guiding people on Instagram live. And now I've added a cooking session virtually. But the approach is very important. (laughs) The approach is always important Mm. because we're never taught any of this stuff. So you begin introducing very, very shocking facts, you know, about vegan life and why to go vegan. You have to spoon feed people, but also your approach has to be very respectful of where people are in their lives, Mm -hmm. then get into who they are, Mm -hmm. what they like, Mm -hmm. and then begin to provide, oh, suggestions, Mm -hmm. not commands, not demands. You know, that's very invasive. So Mm -hmm. knowing people, having people's skills, and then also making it fun with incentive, and then being a walking example of that as far as what or how it's benefited you. Mm -hmm. Um, Showing those people is very important. And being an example of that is even more important, but approach is everything because it can be very discouraging. Mm-hmm. I remember that with my husband. <laughs> no, that's approach a thing. is everything, right, Roxy? <laughs> right. Yeah. right. I'm like, I'm gonna have to like lock that in the bank. And I'm like, okay, it's all about the approach. Like approach <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. It's so true. You know, but making it a, an event oh. is cool. Making it a mm-hmm. fun family event is cool. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got one or two more questions and we'll let you go. Um, you know, yes. in this interview, I've really, there's two things that you give off and that's empathy and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And those are the two things I'm really trying to work on. And I see you and I'm like, oh, that's what that looks like. Empathy and vulnerability no, because mm-hmm. I need, I need that. I need to understand people more and be empathetic about their stories and where they're coming from and not using my own ego to like stand in my way and being open and honest about the things that I'm going through, which, which you have. And I'm just so grateful that you spoke to us. I think mm-hmm. you're such a bright light in this dark world right now. Um, I've felt like I've taken a bubble bath. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm put, like there's a, there's a piece about so, you that I, I wish that I had, um, that I'm trying to find. So my last question is what is your greatest advice just for, for anyone out there? Mm-hmm. Because I'm a fan and I would love to know what your greatest piece of advice is? My greatest piece of advice is mm-hmm. to, to look inwardly instead mm. of constantly outwardly mm-hmm. for answers on life. But when you do want to look outwardly, download the Night Sky app. Yeah. <laughs> and you will begin. <laughs> yes. And I'm big on outer space. Even as a little girl, I used to pray to the stars because I knew something was divine about that and man couldn't alter that. Man couldn't touch that. Humans didn't have anything to do with that. Not that I could recall or or understand. But that's one of the ways that I take myself off of this earthly plane and then begin to just process the insignificance of my thoughts and issues mm-hmm. because usually they're revolved around all of this earthly madness and mentality that, of course, I've adapted to. So I have to take myself out of the equation. And how I do that is 
connecting to my center. People, all of these yogis say it all the time, but that's one of the ways that I do it. I go outside at night and I look up at the stars and I'm in this vast creation of creations and realize the scope of just this one galaxy amongst billions of galaxies and this one visible universe amongst possibly billions and trillions and gazillions of universe. So universes. So I start thinking like that. And then all of my problems begin to dissipate into something less significant on the grand mm. scheme of things. And that's what I constantly have to do. So download the night sky app. I probably <laughs> sound like a Netflix right now, but <laughs> you know, that's how I find my peace because mm-hmm. it can get very chaotic in the mind mm-hmm. based on the chaos of the world and all of these standards and all of these um, ideas and systems to conform to. And mm-hmm. it's just not healthy. So space and time, <laughs> that's what I like to take. And that's actually the new single for those reasons. <gasps> Getting back to the natural world and spending time in nature. Nature doesn't ever rush itself. Mm-hmm. Aligning yourself with those types of environments has definitely provided a lot of healing for me where I can go back into the world that we know to maintain my peace and maybe count to a thousand if I need to before I snap. (laughs) But those moments are key for me to function as a human being, like you said, in such a confusing world Mm -hmm. in such confusing times. You know, speaking of these times, has the pandemic been a creative time for you? And you mentioned new music. When will we be hearing it? What are we going to hear? Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us all about it. Well, I have just released a single called Mm -hmm. Space and Time, and it's Mm -hmm. available on all digital Mm -hmm. and streaming platforms everywhere worldwide. And I've also released the music video, which I shot in my backyard where I go to look up at the stars (laughs) and (laughs) look at the wildlife and the animals. Um, I've been here stationary right off of tour in March. I went home to the East Coast of the U.S., and I haven't visited another state since March. And so I've really had to go outside and exercise, et cetera, and go outside at night and look Mm -hmm. up at those constellations and planets and use my night sky app to get back to why I'm here, what my purpose Mm -hmm. is, and appreciate and realign with the sounds of nature and the simple things in life. Because once upon a time, the world as we knew it had us chasing things that we don't even need. And we got into a monotonous routine of just chasing this idea of acceptance and success. So I've, I'm done with that right now. And I'm really, (laughs) I'm really, first of all, I'm forced to be stationary because it's Mm -hmm. not safe outside, but it's also allowed me to reconnect with family, Mm -hmm. see friends that I haven't seen in years, cook Mm -hmm. for family and do things that are priceless. Mm -hmm. And so a reassessment. So space and time is a new single and it's about allowing yourself guilt-free permission to unplug from the world and get into you and oh, heal. And heal. We need healing. That's for sure. Thank you and for giving us mm-hmm. your open spirit. Yes. Um, Amazing. I hope when I said vulnerability, I love, you yeah. want to 
I hope when I said vulnerability, you weren't offended. Vulnerable. I'm I'm obsessed with Brene Brown. I don't know if you know Brene Brown, but she talks about like to really grow in your life, mm-hmm. you have to. Your spirit has to be open and vulnerable to like accept everything that's there for you. So I hope you didn't think like I was like, oh, you're like this person is crying. I'm like, no, you're a badass as well. Believe me. But you're like, you've got this beauty about your spirit is is beautiful and open. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just wanted you to know that that's what I thought. And I also still think you could kick my ass. (laughs) (laughs) You could knock me down if you wanted to. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That was refreshing to hear because I struggle with that, you know, mm-hmm. in this business, I'm usually very cold, not cold, but closed off, especially mm-hmm. around men, um, because of trust issues. But that's refreshing to hear on the other side. Cause I don't hear it enough. And I always think that I struggle with that area in my life. So I was kind of shocked. That's all. Oh, <laughs> I am, I'm very, I feel very connected to you. Will you marry me? Yes. <laughs> This is the proposal. It's going down now. Yes. So this is why we asked you here today. Because it's a home proposal. No the ring bearer. Yes, yes. She's doing her best to like I know. I will usher this in. I'll be the path. So, so much. And where can we find yes. you? Yes. Where can we find you, oh, Maya? Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, you can find me on social media at Maya Planet Nine. That's with the number nine. Yes. And my website is mayamaya.com forward slash lifestyle if you want to get the vegan guide events if you want to you know, just kind of keep up with the virtual shows that i'm going to be doing but yeah mayamaya.com is my website oh where you can find me very nice <laughs> and, and you can find us on women on top official on instagram and women on top official on facebook and I, I mean, am, no, no. Oh my no, gosh, you never get it wrong. She never gets it wrong. She always pays me out. You never get it wrong. You never get it wrong. Damn it. Now I've got one to hold over, guys. Yes. Are you, are you control freaks? Yes. Mm, kind of. <laughs> Is that where the title Woman on Top came from? <laughs> Woman on Top of the Whip. Just kidding. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they have a saddle. I know. Yeah. We never had it. Shit on you and tell you <laughs> No, it's about it's about all of it, you know. It's like it can be it can be any way on any path. Um, We're here it for it. it. We're here for it. Women on top in business and in any other place you want to be. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know. like it every which way, don't Way. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that I'm tired and two kids, I'm probably just on my back. But sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're gonna let you go. I am yes. Kevin <laughs> and I am Roxy Manning, and we are women, women on. on. <laughs>